Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. A lot of excitement today because we are joined by two of our favorite people, Lucas Harkins and Mike Hunter, both of Busting Brackets, Michael of the ACC Basketball Report. We're going to talk about the Big East, Lucas's specialty, the ACC, which is Michael's specialty. Also take a look at the top 16 early bracket preview that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee released over the weekend. But first, guys, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate having me on. So let's let's go ahead and jump right into that top 16 early reveal that happened over the weekend. The top seeds, Lucas, I don't think were a huge surprise for anybody, particularly in the way they shook out. Baylor getting the top overall seed, followed by Kansas, Gonzaga, and then San Diego State. Is that how you saw that top line going? Well, I thought San Diego State at the time had a better argument um, for the West region. Now, I wouldn't think that would be the case in two weeks, um, considering Gonzaga um, still has another, uh, I think, both matchups against BYU, if I'm correct. Uh, No, just one. Yeah, just one. Uh, Yeah, just one. I remember they dominated by like 30 points. Uh, So I I think that having that other matchup left um, pushes them with a better quality win down the stretch with two resumes that are practically exact. Gonzaga, better eye test. San Diego State, better net. Um, it's kind of a toss-up, but I don't think it'll be a toss-up in a month. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna jump in and agree with, with Lucas. I think I tweeted that exact thing today, Lucas. Um, just San Diego State, Gonzaga, really, really similar resumes. Uh, I also had San Diego State. I, I know we've discussed this, Brian, as the one seed in the mm-hmm. West. Gonzaga as the one seed in the East. Um now, after Gonzaga beat St. Mary's, uh, that may change. And with Gonzaga facing BYU uh, in Marriott and St. Mary's at home, with the pos- a now realistic possibility of facing both teams in the WCC tournament, if things shake out the way um, that is, is beneficial to that, uh, they'll probably come out with three to four more high-quality top 40 uh, 40 to 50 wins um, down the stretch. So it's become clear that San Diego State is the team that needs Gonzaga to lose in order to get the one seed in the West. And seeing as I don't think San Diego State will lose a game to push them to the two seed, um, the, the Aztec fans are probably going to be rooting for St. Mary's and BYU in the coming weeks. I almost think it would behoove San Diego State to not throw a game but throw a game to end up with a two seed to go out West. Because if this shakes out the way it was projected in, in this bracket preview, they have to go out East to Madison square garden and then would get slaughtered with Duke as the two seed in the East region. I don't think that's what they want, but quite frankly, Michael, I was surprised to see Duke as the top number two seed as that number five overall seed. Uh, you know, what? Um, <clears throat> Myself in my rankings in the past few weeks, I've had Dayton in that number five spot, which would make them the number one, two. But there are times when this Duke Blue Devils team looks like it could, when it gets locked in, could be the best team in the nation. Uh, You know, as Cassius Stanley kind of asserts himself as becoming maybe the leader on the offensive end for that team, along with Vernon Carey, they look, you know, sometimes unbeatable, but then, you know, maybe halftime comes and we get into the second half and they look like a completely different team. You know, just this past weekend, that first half against North Carolina, 
that was the team that lost to Stephen F. Austin. That was the team that lost to Clemson. And then in the second half, Trey Jones just goes buck wild in the last you know few minutes in overtime, hits a crazy shot. Wendell Moore, a kid that has struggled all season long and was maybe kind of a disappointment up to this point, hits one of the biggest shots in, in the history of that rivalry. You know, Duke, they could be the fourth number one or they could be the, the, the fourth number two. It just it really depends on who shows up on any given night. Um, out of those two seeds – you know, right now I would say that I think Louisville is probably the weakest, but the other three, any one of them could be the number one, two in my mind. Yeah, Lucas, I want to talk to you about that last two seed, the number eight spot, where West Virginia got the nod over Maryland. Uh, I, I think the committee will admit that probably would have flipped after the weekend mm-hmm. when Maryland went on the road and beat Illinois and West Virginia got beat pretty badly by Oklahoma. Do you think West Virginia has a serious chance of getting that two seed, or do you see teams like that were on the three line, like Maryland uh, or a Seton Hall, even a Florida State, uh, kind of box them out and keep West Virginia on that three line? Um, I see it more um, as those first two you mentioned, Seton Hall and Maryland. Um, I already had Maryland on my th- on my two line before um, the bracket reveal, and I think that stayed true after the, uh, the weekend's events, as you already uh, mentioned. With regards to Seton Hall versus Florida State, I just think Seton Hall um, is miles ahead of everyone else in the second-best conference in the country, whereas Florida State's maybe the second, maybe the third-best team in a conference that's just not nearly as good as the Big East. I think they'll just have – Seton Hall will have a better resume by the time the season's done. As for West Virginia sticking on the two-line, we will find out in the next week. Um, Kansas at home, Baylor on the road, that's your time to make your mark as a two-seed. And I think that's fair. Uh, the The three line, I didn't see a whole lot of necessarily debate points, Connor. I think Seton Hall, Florida State, uh, Maryland, throws Virginia in that mix, even down to Villanova. Uh, I, I think those were all pretty solid. I think things could get uh, pretty crazy in terms of seeing some turnover moving forward on the four line. Auburn continues to prove themselves, but the other four, Michigan State, Oregon and Butler, sorry, Lucas, continue to to struggle a little bit. The only problem is I don't know who necessarily we see surging up to replace those teams outside of maybe a Penn State. What do you make of those teams that ended up on the four line? Yeah, like you said, I think Auburn is the team. They're more likely to move up than to move down off that four line. Uh, just because the, the remainder of their schedule um, looks pretty favorable to to, to them, um, but yeah, like you said, there, there's a lot of lot not to like about the way Butler, Oregon, and Michigan State have been playing lately. But there's not a ton to like uh, of the teams that would be just behind them outside of mm-hmm. Penn State. You could throw probably Colorado into that mix um, as well, considering they seem to be not light years ahead of the rest of the Pac-12, but at least the most consistent team at the top of the Pac-12. And if teams like Oregon and Arizona continue to struggle, Colorado's the team that I think takes advantage of that. So, um, but then again, if they continue to struggle, Colorado's strength of schedule goes down. So that all plays into, into it. At this point, I think Oregon's probably the most likely to drop off that four line of those 
three teams, Oregon, Butler, and Michigan State, just because if they're losing, they're more likely to be losing bad games than the other two. Um, but there's just there's just not enough – I don't even want to say elite – not enough teams that are convincing, convincingly a top-four seed in a region right now for me to say what teams will move up onto that four line. Yeah. I'll say this about – as we Michigan State's already off, right? I mean, they're already off this. They week, have to be. Yeah, they have I mean, to be. They'll have opportunities to get back up there, but they have to be off right now. Uh, a couple of things I'll add um, is with regards to the fours and who falls off. Auburn, as we've already talked about, is pretty safe. The team I'll mention that we haven't talked about is Villanova falling out. Um, they've lost three in a row. They finished with five of eight on the road. Um, they're young. They haven't. You'd think that a young team would grow, but they've lost their last three team, three games. Two of them at home, all of them the top twenty-five teams. Um, and you have to wonder whether or not youth is beginning to become a factor um, against good teams. And they're going to have a rough schedule to finish. They still have to go at Seton Hall and Marquette at home, who certainly gave them trouble um, in Milwaukee earlier this season. But sticking with the Big East, though, I think that we're going to see three. Big East teams in the top four on Selection Sunday. Seton Hall is a lock. Um, Villanova and Butler um, in that discussion, obviously. And I'll throw in Marquette and Creighton into that conversation. And Paul, I- Let's go ahead and dive into the Big East. And I think starting with Marquette and Creighton is a good jumping off point, Lucas, because they're a team through the non-conference, I think, was largely overlooked, or both teams were largely overlooked. And now in conference play, have built up some really solid resumes and have looked like second weekend teams at different points this season. I think we, we know Seton Hall's potential ceiling, given what they've shown this year. Butler has shown flashes of that as well. I don't think anyone's going to count out or, or necessarily doubt a Jay Wright Villanova team. I never will. What? You do? I never will. <laughs> never in my life. We'll so never right. No, never ever. But what would you make of Marquette and Creighton as we head now into the last part of February and into March? What are the the ceilings for each of those teams? Um, I think you hit on. Um, I think we both kind of hit on. I think Marquette and Creighton both have um, ceilings of top four seeds second weekend. Um, I have issues with both of them being able to defend. Um, getting enough stops, I, I would probably of the top 16 teams, but then maybe in the same mold um, as a team like Oregon, like Pritchard with Howard, Pritchard with uh, with Powell, and then a defense that has struggled to get stops kind of throughout the year. Uh, and they're kind of a team like that, which they have. They both have. Um, sorry, I wasn't talking about Hobby. Mean, Creighton with Alexander or um, Zagorowski. I, I think both of those teams can reach second weekends. I have concerns about their programs haven't exactly been the best in the postseason in the past. Um, and I think pretty much everyone has complained as a Marquette fan, the fact that I don't think Marcus Howard has a tournament win in his career. Nope. Um, and I'd like to see him go out with a bang, but I think in the end, they're just second weekend teams. I don't see much outside of that. Yeah. And I think it's important for teams like that specifically, if they can get up on a four on to a four seed and play a little bit weaker of a mid major, that's not, going to have the tools probably I say probably to exploit some of those defensive weaknesses I think that's as important as anything needing strong finishes down the stretch here so Connor I I I think we can say Seton Hall is probably the safest bet but of those other four Lucas mentioned uh, the Butler Villanova Creighton Marquette 
who do you feel most confident in making the longest run of that group? I would say because of coaching, uh, I would I would probably put Villanova as as a the the team I'd be most comfortable um, giving a shot at like a Final Four run. Um, that said, over the last couple of weeks, I, I've I've really liked the way Creighton's been playing, um, and so. I'd probably say Villanova still, and I know that there are a lot of people who doubt Villanova, um, especially with the way they've been playing the last couple of weeks, but Jay Wright is a top-five coach, in my mind, in college basketball, and top-five coaches usually find a way to get their teams to play well in March. Um, you know, we, we could talk about the the number of UConn teams when Calhoun was coaching that that played well in March or or the number of Kentucky teams that have disappointed um, early on and then played well in March. So uh, that's where I'm going to go. I I think Butler is an interesting one because if Butler gets the right matchups and finds themselves in close games in March, uh, they probably have the biggest big playmaker. Um, You know, Marcus Howard is great for Marquette, but when it comes down to the final seconds, uh, I'm still going to take Kamar Baldwin taking that last shot over Marcus mm-hmm. Howard pretty much every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Um, so Unless you're BYU, they won't play on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I, if they find themselves in competitive matchups, I think Butler has the playmaker that will get them to to win the most games in those situations, but I, but I still have to lean Jay right. Before we move off of the Butler point, Lucas, I want to talk to you or ask you about Butler because I think a couple weeks ago they were contention for one seed and people were wondering if they were a legitimate Final Four contender. I know you've watched this team closer than anybody, even as they've gone through this sort of down stretch the last couple of weeks, which has had some big wins in there. Do they still have that Final Four potential, or how do you see their March potentially looking? I think the big difference really is either if, and I I say this as a um, non-official basher, is Butler just needs to find a way to defend without fouling like it was in the first half of the season. Um, Having watched Butler all season, there's been a massive shift in the way their defense has been officiated. Um, in the Big East play versus non-conference play. And, and the coaching staff needs to find a way to um, make adjustments and avoid fouling because they are sending teams to the free throw line at an incredibly high rate for a team that doesn't get to the free throw line themselves. Um, so Butler, its defense has been almost identical in non-conference play versus conference play, except for the number of um, free throws it's given up. And also they've gotten bitten by the bug that teams are shooting 79% at the line against them in conference play, which is bananas. But I will say the difference really is getting back to form defensively. Um, I think the offense has been fine. Missing Aaron Thompson for games um, was huge, and he's still getting back to even being fully healthy. Um, And he makes a difference tremendously in the defensive end. And I think they're also learning to play without Christian David, who was the seventh man for the entire season before tearing his ACL at Villanova. Um, Missing him has definitely disrupted uh, Butler's bench, and obviously missing Thompson for the games after that took another piece out of the bench because it forced Jordan Tucker into the starting lineup. I think they played well at home against Villanova and Thompson's return, but it's still going to take time um, to get back to a true eight-man rotation that's used to playing together again. 
I'll look on the other side side of the coin with these four teams with you, Michael, because we've talked about their upside. Mm-hmm. Which of the four do you have the least confidence in? Like who, oh. who could potentially be upset early in that first round? It's Marquette. For me, it's always Marquette uh, when it comes to when it comes to these teams in this conference. I I like the way that Butler defends or could potentially defend. I like the trio of of um, of, of Tucker and and Kamara Baldwin and and uh, Sean McDermott. Which you know, as that as they go, as Sean McDermott goes, so goes Butler. It seems, but Marquette relies so heavily on the jump shot that it's it's always been. A, a trend for me to fade teams that rely so heavily on the jump shot when it comes to the tournament. Now, Creighton is also kind of cut from that same cloth, but I just, I like overall their guard play a little bit better, I think, than I do the Golden Eagles. And then, you know, like these other guys have said, Jay Wright in March, he's going to find a way to bring that team together and say, look, you know, we're, we're Villanova, we're Blue Bloods. This is what we do. We win in March. And I think that, you know, again, I'm not going to doubt Jay Wright when it comes to March. So for me, Marcus Howard is great. He could go on a Carson Edwards-like run, but I just I, I don't know if I trust Wojo, and I don't know if I trust a team that relies that heavily on perimeter shooting. Can I just say something about Villanova that might upset some people? Let's hear it. Um, am I correct in thinking that, like, basically since 2008, Villanova's either won the title or lost in the first round? Uh, second round they, they'll yeah, they'll make the second round that whether they'll go beyond that is, is remains to be seen but they'll they'll make the second round and then fall flat on their, flat on their face against an eight seed yeah wow yeah it's, it's 2009, it's, 2009 has been title or or for, for first weekend yeah, <laughs> yeah if you ask Villanova fans though I think they'll take those two titles yeah, well, they'll, I mean, they'll, sa- they'll sacrifice those second round losses for a couple titles. Yes. So, those five are for sure in the tournament. I, I think, barring really epic collapses, which I don't foresee happening, those five are in. How many more bids do you think the Biggies could get, Lucas? Um, I think they can get um, up to seven if they're lucky. Um, I think that's really just. Xavier, I would have right on the cut line right now, maybe on the positive side. Um, and I would say Providence still has work to do. Um, losing to Xavier um, this past weekend was a hurt, but the opportunities are left for Providence with a tough but manageable schedule to finish. Um, as in, they get St. John's, they get DePaul again, um, and they have a chance to get Seton Hall at home, which it would be a monster win. Uh, I think Providence still has a shot. Georgetown, I think, is is faded, and, and St. John's and DePaul are now sadly out of discussion after strong non-conferences. I will say to DePaul, man, DePaul just cannot close at all. <laughs> um, like the only game they won this this in conference play, they got up like they hit everything in the first half against Butler, and then kept it going. Had a fifteen point lead that they couldn't blow. Um, but <laughs> I, I would say the five are locks. And then one of Providence or Xavier, most likely the Musketeers' chances. Connor, what do you think? So, yeah, I, I kind of agree with Lucas. I, I, Georgetown's non-conference for me was pretty underwhelming, anyways, and and the way that they've played once conference started, um, it just for me, uh, it is really going to push them 
to the wrong side. Xavier, right on the cut line. I, I agree. I, I think moving forward, they they have somewhat of a beneficial slate. They play Butler twice, um, and then they t- get Villanova at home, uh, which are some good opportunities to get quality wins uh, with road games against Georgetown and Providence, which are which pushes, I believe. Um, there, those games, Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong, into the quadrant one category. Um, so they have a lot of opportunities to get good wins. I know, Brian, you and I um, were talking right after Providence listed what we termed as the uh, battle of the disappointments between them and Florida, that Providence had no shot at the tournament. They won at Texas. Um, by a big margin, and we were still saying, look, they have lost. They lost to Long Beach State. They lost to Northwestern. Um, they lost to Carlos of Charleston. Uh, there's, there's, there's not a way for them to get into the tournament. Um, but I mean, they've played well. They, they haven't blown uh, me out of the water. But they have a, a huge win against Creighton. They went to Butler and, and won there. Um, they have a win at Marquette. Uh, none of their losses are are bad in conference play. Uh, you know, they lost to Butler, then they lost to Creighton, Seton Hall, and Villanova, and then, and then at Xavier. Um, moving forward, they could I could easily see them winning. You know, four of their last seven games, um, and if they if they can get a win at home against Seton Hall or Mar- or Mar- probably Marquette, um, they're a team that I could see kind of being in that first four conversation after having what could only be deemed as a disastrous non-conference. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see. I, Xavier's certainly in the best position. And I think it wouldn't surprise me if the big East gets six and Xavier kind of sneaks in there as a double digit seed. That's kind of the number that I'm going with right now. Um, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see the, there's no conference, I think, where the bubble conversation is as prevalent as the ACC, Michael, mm-hmm. where we have the top three, very clear top three. Double-digit losses like that. Do what? Don't diss the Big Ten's number of double-digit loss teams like that. <laughs> That's true. Everybody, everybody in the Big Ten is on the bubble. I, I think the ACC bubble conversation is more, a bit more interesting because it's that four seed, and nobody seems to want it. Outside of Duke, Florida State, and Louisville, who are all in, it's been a rotating door every week of Virginia, Virginia Tech. Um, Notre Dame had a shot at one point. Syracuse looked like they were going to be that team. We all keep thinking NC State's going to come grab it. What do you make of, of all these teams that just can't seem to get out of their own way? Well, I think, you know, in the recent, in the most recent four or five days, I think it's cleared up a little bit. I think it's officially time to go ahead and write off Virginia Tech. I mean, they've lost, I think, uh, either five of seven or six of eight. They are, they're done, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Clemson, done. North Carolina, you know, I hate to bring it up because I actually released the power rankings today for ACC Basketball Report. North Carolina lost three games and somehow still moved up three points for me. So, um, <laughs> like I will that- say, one of the, I think probably the best thing that came out of that Duke-UNC game and Duke winning is that we didn't have to hear all the pundits on ESPN talking about how UNC was still alive for an at-large bid. Yeah, I mean, how I they play with Cole Anthony. Yeah, 
I, I think they're done, but they could make things very interesting in the ACC tournament if they get a low seed. They they have the ability, as we saw Saturday night, to knock off one of these top three teams and then lose to a team like Virginia, Syracuse, Notre Dame, uh, even Pittsburgh. So those teams are the teams that are kind of looking to make these deep runs in the ACC tournament to get themselves some quality wins. I think right now, uh, Virginia, I guess, is the most dependable team, I would say. I mean, given that coaching, given that senior leadership, given their experience, their success in the postseason, they are the most logical choice for that fourth seed. But I'll tell you, there are some times when Syracuse, something about this Syracuse team, I don't know whether it's Joe Girard finally, you know, playing with a chip on his shoulder or Buddy Beheim becoming a legitimate star, same with Eli Hughes. But there are times when Syracuse looks like it could be the fourth best team in this conference and get up there in the conversation with maybe Florida state, I guess, but then they go out and they lose to Notre Dame or they go out and they almost blow a 16 point second half lead at home against wake forest and almost lose that game. Um, the, it continues to be crazy and don't sleep on Notre Dame. Who's won a few games in a row in, in the ACC conference. They're now 15 and eight, six and six in the league. You know, you look at their profile, not great strength of schedule. If they had just protected their home court better earlier in the season, Notre Dame would be in such a better position right now. But they're behind a lot of the other bubble teams, specifically bubble teams from the Big Ten. When you look at Wisconsin, Michigan, teams like that just had better overall resumes. So Notre Dame kind of finds themselves way behind the eight ball. And then NC State, you never know. When when they take the court, it's, it's always a grab bag with the Wolfpack. NC State's interesting. They have a really big week coming up next mm-hmm. week. They have Duke at home and Florida State at home. You know, if, if they win both those games, I think suddenly we're talking about them in a different light. I don't think that happens, <laughs> but I, I think they have a <laughs> But I think the opportunity is certainly there for them more so than some of these other teams. So if you had to put a number on it, Michael, how many of these other teams get in? How many bids does the ACC end up with? Is it just four? No, I, I can't. I can't think that. I think it's going to be five. I think it's going to be Louisville, Duke, Florida State, Virginia, and Syracuse. And it could be, it could be Notre Dame or Syracuse. To be perfectly honest, I think. I think honestly, I think NC State's going to lose both those games. And I think they honestly. Let me check real quick. Here, here's another game that you shouldn't sleep on, and it is coming up this weekend. NC State travels to Chestnut Hill to play Boston College, and. Duke is three days after that on Wednesday night. If NC State looks ahead to Duke, Boston College will make no qualms about beating them on the road. And that might just be the last nail in their coffin as far as their resume goes. So there's a very real possibility. I mean, Boston College just went to Blacksburg and beat Virginia Tech in overtime. So, you know, they've surprised us over and over again. And there there is a legitimate shot that NC State goes to Chestnut Hill and loses to BC. Well, Lucas, as a resident bracketologist at Busting Brackets, how do these bubble teams in the ACC stack up against some of the other bubble teams from conferences like the Big Ten? You can even go with the SEC uh, and some of the mid-majors that are fighting for some of those at-large bids. How do those ACC teams stack up against them? Um, Relatively poorly. Uh, Just because the in-conference strength of schedule with the ACC just isn't very good. And the odds that any of the bubble teams are actually able to knock off the top three are so low. Um, Like if you look at the Minnesotas of the world, the odds that they get 
again a team against somewhere in the middle, like a five to seven seed, like an Illinois or a, um, or an Iowa, where that's a better win than and that's a more likely win than trying to get one over Duke, Louisville, or Florida State right now. Um, so they have better shots, at least of of actually securing quality wins. And, and I'll say that I think the ACC really only has one bubble team that's in good shape right now. Um, and that's Virginia. That's right around the cut line, if not on the right side. Otherwise, Notre Dame, NC State, Syracuse all have a lot of work to do. Um, now, the opportunities are there. I think particularly with Notre Dame is probably the team I put fifth um, behind Virginia in, in tournament odds because they've won four in a row. Um, they get Virginia and Duke back-to-back on the road, but then a pretty favorable closing schedule. Northwest North Carolina at home, Miami at home. Boston College on the road, which I know is a feistier team that it's barely top 150. Ken Palm gives it credit for. Um, Wake Forest on the road, Florida State at home, Virginia Virginia Tech at home. I mean, they're already 500 in conference, and that's a schedule that they could um, definitely go above 500 for the last um, eight games of the season. And being over 500 in the ACC, while conference record means nothing to the committee, that's something that catches the eye of a lot of people. Yeah, and they're a shiny name like Notre Dame. And, you know, when you have a a brand name like that, I think the prestige tends to carry you a little bit more than it does some other teams. Not to mention the committee really wants to say, hey, we're going to have a four-bid ACC. Exactly, (laughs) right. You know, the thing that I, I think has escaped a lot of those teams, Notre Dame seems to have found it a little bit lately, and why it's going to be interesting to see them down that stretch, Lucas, that you mentioned is the consistency factor. None of them have been able to be consistent, and that includes Notre Dame up until these last couple of weeks, as Michael mentioned. The only teams that really have been are Duke, Louisville, and Florida State. That's why they're at the top, Connor. I don't know how good those three are. I think Louisville probably has the highest floor of those, but we saw Duke's flaws on full display in that North Carolina game. Florida State really, when you look at it, has a somewhat iffy, not resume, but just track record of late. They've been in a lot of close games with some teams that have no business being in close games with somebody ranked in the top 10 like Florida State. How do you stack those three, Louisville, Duke, Florida State, up against each other, Connor, looking into the NSA tournament? Like, who could go the furthest? Um, I, I trust Louisville the most of those three teams. I, I think Louisville's earned that trust. Um, you know, they had a, a bit, I guess, of a of a slump towards the middle of the season where they lost three of five, but the, all three of those teams are tournament teams. Um, that said, if I'm looking at a team that can get hot and win six in a row, I'm probably going to lean more towards Duke than Louisville. Duke's a team... And we've said it before, they could lose in the second round or they could win it all. They have the talent to win it all. They have the consistency to lose to a 15 seed even, if they're a two seed. Um, Now, granted, if they're the two seed in Madison Square Garden, I wouldn't bet on them to lose. uh, Well, they wouldn't be in Madison Square Garden in the first two rounds. But if they get past that, they'd probably be my final four pick just because nobody plays better than Duke in Madison Square Garden, and that includes St. John's. Um, But... I think they'd be in Greensboro that first week, if I'm not mistaken. Which they would <laughs> So, um, I, I, it's, it's similar to my answer about uh, LSU and Kentucky from last week. 
I, I trust uh, Louisville to get further in the tournament, um, but I think Duke probably has the better roster to make a six-game run. Um, that said, I'm going to talk about Virginia. Um, they, if here we go, <laughs> if they don't give up 60 points, they pretty much win mo- most of those games. They've given up, and like I've said. They've given up 60 points six times this season. That's ridiculous. They've lost five of those games. And the game they won was against a Wake Forest team that ranks like 150th on Ken Palm's adjusted uh, defensive margin. Or adjusted defense. So, um, but they're a team where if if they catch the right uh, kind of path, they're not a national championship contender. But but they can make a, a second weekend, and I and I can't really say that about anyone else besides the top three in that conference. Um, so that's just my take. I if yeah, but that's just my take. I think Duke, with the talent they have on their roster, is the team that I'm most comfortable saying is a championship contender. I know I said this last week, but Louisville is the team that I think gets further. We'll stick with Virginia for a sec, Michael. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say they get in the tournament because I think they do. Mm-hmm. I think they're that fourth team. Yep. And I, I don't think the committee is going to leave the ACC at three, no matter what kind of happens here with Virginia. Um, do, can they win a game or two in the tournament? Or are they destined to lose as soon as they step on the court? Like, what is what is their upside for you? You know, I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of a cop-out, but we we use it all the time because it's it's absolutely true is – it's the matchup. I mean, and we still have whatever it is, eight or nine games left to go in the season. If Virginia is able to kind of pull it together offensively, which they actually have done a little bit recently. I mean, that Louisville game was closer than even, even the seven point spread would have suggested. They scored 70 points. They That's scored right. over 70. And then the three games before that, they all had uh, a point per possession of at least uh, 0.91 which is about, I believe, 12% better than what they've kind of had the rest of the season. So their offense is starting to figure it out, but they're never going to put up points because they just don't have enough possessions. So, you know, if they land a, I don't know, Lucas, maybe help me out here, a six seed, seven seed, somewhere in there, maybe an eight, nine matchup. I mean, if they can if they can get a good matchup there where they can lock somebody down defensively, they can absolutely get a first round victory. Now, any one of these number one seeds that we're, that we're looking at uh, for the release of the, the top 16, uh, I'm not sure any of that's going to happen if they end up in an 8-9 matchup. But, you know, if they end up with a 7-10 and then, and then kind of move, I mean, you could find them in the second weekend. And I think Kia Clark is a great leader. I think that he is – I vastly underrated him coming into the season offensively. I think he is a great rebounder for his size. He puts people in good positions to win. I think he sometimes gives the ball a headache, but he's always – the way he goes in and out of the lane and never loses his dribble and then kind of makes things happen is kind of incredible to me. Um, you know, Diakite is a lot better shooter than I thought. Wolden Tensai is starting to come along as a shooter to kind of give them an outside weapon. So, you know, all these things are seemingly coming together at the right time. Matchup dependent, sure. But they could also run into a buzzsaw if they get a if they get a twelve seed against one of these five seeds, say a Michigan State, they could be in very big trouble in that first round in the first five minutes of the game. 
Yeah, Lucas, where would you see at Virginia right now? What range are they looking at? Uh, somewhere between a nine and out. Um, <laughs> I, have, like, I have them directly on my cut line right now. It's an 11 or 12 hanging on the edge um, with, with room to move up, but also room to completely not hear their name called on Selection Sunday. So a five twelve matchup with Michigan State is a very real possibility if the if the committee wants to get a little funky. Yeah, or we could see a really fun uh, Big East Big East matchup. Give me Creighton or Marquette's offense against Virginia's defense. Oh, that would be fantastic. That that's I like that. Marcus Howard have to earn his first tournament win. Failing up with Virginia in that game. Or Iowa. Give me Luca Garza banging against Virginia. Yeah. Garza would get to the line like 40 times in that game. <laughs> but Virginia's got the bodies to just keep throwing out there. I mean, Kafaro, you know, Kafaro's a seven to 10 minute guy. He can, he can go out there and foul five times. <laughs> Before we get off the ACC, Michael, I want to talk to you about those top three teams, the Duke, Louisville, Florida State. Are they all national championship contenders? Or do you uh, see some of them having shortcomings that keep them from being in that category for you? Uh, yeah, I think Connor hit on it. I, uh, if I'm going to pick a team out of those three, it's going to be Duke, just because, <laughs> you know, Louisville is a team that could that you know may go out there in that in that two fifteen and win by sixty points, and then they come out and they're down at the half in the second round. That's it's it's that's a whole lot of Jordan Wara, and and then hopefully somebody else steps up. Now, now David Johnson has been really good but he's continuously dinged up and that's kind of a concern for me same thing with Malik Williams when he's right he's very good but he's he's dinged up often Florida State was number one for me um, in the power rankings until a couple weeks ago but they've become instead of more of a impose my will on the other team kind of team they're more of a grinded out team right now and they're giving teams opportunities to win against them that shouldn't be really hanging with them I think that, you know, as far as defensively in the backcourt, Florida State's probably the best team in the league. I think as far as athleticism on the wings, Florida State is just a shade above Duke, I would say. But Florida State really scares me with sometimes how they just kind of let teams get back into it or let teams kind of hang with them. If I'm going to pick a national title contender out of those three, it's probably going to be in order Duke, Louisville, Florida State – and Louisville was my my preseason pick to win the national championship. I still think they have that upside, but Jordan War has to be very good for all six games in a row. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would I would probably put Louisville ahead of Duke. As Connor said, I think they I, I trust them more mm-hmm. because we've seen Duke really put up some duds. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if if all three of them made the final four. You know, I, I don't think that'll happen. But this year, I think all three have the potential to. I think with, with, with Trey Jones' defense in the backcourt, and if Cassius Stanley is able to consistently play at the level that he has shown he's capable of, with, with Jones, Stanley, and, and Vernon Carey being an absolute monster, I just I think I trust those three maybe more than I trust any other threesome in the, out of those three teams. If the ACC gets three bids and all three go to the Final Four, this will, that will summarize this season more than anything else. Absolutely. Yes. Um <laughs> uh, but I, I think before we get into into bold takes, um bold predictions, Brian, let's let's just talk to them about um who they think and it'll probably be more interesting or more of a discussion for the ACC than the Big East, but who they think wins the regular season championship uh down the stretch, 
who the player of the year in each conference is and then who wins coach of the year. I think that's a, a good place to uh, end this discussion. Like since, we're, since we're on the ACC, let's keep going with the ACC, Michael. So who wins the regular season? You know, what's funny is about this conversation is we're, we're talking about tournament seeds. We're talking about winning the regular season. There's still seven ACC games left in this season for, for most teams. So we're barely past the midway point for the ACC. But uh, I think... I think it's Louisville. They got a two. They got a two-game win on their on their you know on Duke right now. For the next four games, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Syracuse, North Carolina. I mean, that's at least three and one at the very least. I could. No, that's that's four. No, they don't lose any of those games. But you know, Florida State on the road in Tallahassee is potentially a loss. And then you get uh, you get Virginia Tech at home, Virginia on the road. I think. Louisville's schedule really lays out really well for them to win the the regular season title. For what was the next one? Coach of the year or player of the year? Either one. Yeah, player of the year. It's Jordan War. I mean, he's just he's been the best player since since we tipped the season. I think you could make a case for either Vernon Carey or Trey Jones, but I just I think that with the season that Louisville's had, which is kind of what we expected, it would be Jordan War. And for for coach of the year. You know, Coach K could win it every year, but he wins it no years. So I'm going to go Leonard Hamilton. I think that some people expected Florida State to be 18 to 22, maybe, in the nation at the beginning of the season. And he's had them pretty well inside the top 12 since since we got into conference play. And they've performed well. I mean, they're 20 and 3, so there's certainly no gripes about how they perform. But I think that it's time that Leonard maybe receives some some recognition for how good of a coach he really is. All right, Lucas, let's move over to the Big East now. Seton Hall, I think, has a three-game lead in the Big East right now. That is correct. Do they win the regular season, or does somebody come up and challenge them? I don't think there's anyone that's going to be able to challenge. Um, I think they've been by far the best team in the conference um, and will continue to assert um, that dominance. They get four of their last seven um, at home, too. I I just don't see a way where they aren't the ones that win the conference. so I think that one's pretty much a no-brainer. Um, as a result, I think they're going to run away with the conference by two or three games. And if that's the case, Miles Powell is going to win Player of the Year. Um, I think Marcus Howell, should. Marcus Howell should. pretty good argument by being dominant on a team that I think has exceeded expectations. Uh, and, but I think that's really the only contender for that. I would just give give Seton Hall the title, give Powell the title, um, and, and depending how the season finishes, you could see. Um, Willard win coach of the year. Um, it also wouldn't shock me if somehow Butler found its rhythm and Laval Jordan won player of the year, won coach of the year in the conference. Connor, do you agree with both their assessments? How do you see both conferences playing out? Um, I, I kind, I kind of agree with with Michael's pretty much down the down the uh, the list. Um, if Duke wins the conference, and that's a big if. Um, they're in a tight one with Florida State right now. I could see Vernon Carey winning Player of the Year, but otherwise, I think uh, Jordan Nora is—I mean, he's the most important player by a vast margin on those three teams in terms of his in- individual impact on his team. And if his team wins the conference, um, I mean, you can't really argue against. No matter what the stats say, you can't really argue against him as Player of the Year. Um, I. I 
it, it comes down for coach of the year. It's going to be Leonard Hamilton or the coach of whoever wins the conference. Uh, <laughs> if if Louisville wins by two to three games, I, I could easily see Chris Mack winning it. But um, I think Leonard, what Leonard Hamilton has done with the roster has been more impressive than what the other two coaches have done. And there's not really another coach past those top three that's done a fantastic job with what they've had outside of um, you know the the early. Uh, impressive run that Virginia Tech went on but but even they've kind of tailed off in, in ACC play so yeah I think I agree with him on all counts the only thing I don't agree with Lucas on is even though I think Seton Hall runs away with the conference what Laval Jordan has done with a Butler team that was pretty much other than Lucas who thought they were seventh pretty much a unanimous eighth place team in the Big East heading into the season um, to make them a team that is top two, three in a very strong conference, uh, I, I don't know how you can't reward that because Seton Hall was what a top fifteen team entering the season, and so they were the preseason pick to win the conference. What over and over, they were the preseason pick to win the conference. Right. So I think what Laval Jordan has done with Butler has been far more impressive from a preseason uh, expectations to where we are sitting right now than what has done with uh, Seton Hall. So my, my pick, and I and I don't know if there's an argument against it right now, would be Laval Jordan. My argument against it is how voters react to what Butler was after non-conference versus what it is in conference play. Because Butler, after its non-conference, going nine and nine or ten and eight in conference play, which is relatively likely, isn't a great in-conference coaching job compared to expectations at that point. Plus, Seton Hall hasn't won the Big East in almost thirty years, so especially if they run away with it, I think that could be some sort of like historical. Wow, look at what he did! Sort of like a, not a obviously he's. This year's performance warrants that, but it could also be some of the just body of work he's done building the program to get to this point, sort of reward him for that. All right. Well, let's get into some bold predictions now, Connor. Uh, I'm going to pass. You guys know we've closed every podcast this year with a bold prediction for the upcoming week. We can talk about the upcoming week if you have one, or we can talk about the rest of the season. Um, If you have one, if you have two, just we, we need a bold prediction that we're going to hold you to. I'm going to pass it to the others. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to go with. <laughs> I got one. All right, Michael, let's hear it. I'm going to step outside my comfort zone, which I don't typically do. But this looking at this schedule, it just it scares the crap out of me because it's one of my favorite teams to watch all season with one of my favorite players. Actually, two of my favorite players to watch all season. And, you know, currently – Iowa sits at 17 and seven. Um, they, they got crushed by Purdue in a game. I'm glad that we didn't do this podcast a week ago because I probably would have said some nonsense about Iowa being in that 16 list. And then they go out and lose by 36 or whatever it was. And honestly, looking at their schedule right now, they could miss the NCAA tournament altogether. I mean, they could. There's a, a serious possibility they go one and six, two and five down the stretch and play themselves right onto the bubble. They go to Indiana, to Minnesota, Ohio State at home. They go to Michigan State, 
Penn State at home, Purdue at home, who just beat them by 30-plus. And then they play Illinois on the road to close out the season, and hardly anybody's winning at Illinois this season. So I really like Iowa. I, I said that I thought Luca Garza just a week ago was was probably the national player of the year. But I, at the very least, Iowa's going to find themselves on the bubble as early as the next seven to ten days. Wow. That is bold. I like it, though. We, we need those kind of predictions. We'll hold you to it, but we need those kind of predictions. I guess for my bold prediction, I'll go with just the whole conference. I'll go one-bit American. Wow. Inter- well, yeah, it's trending in that direction. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm going to say one-bit American. It's and, Houston, right? It's and a three-bit A-10. I like the three-bit A-10. Mm-hmm. I like that. Who are who are your three from the A ten? Uh Dayton and Rhodey and VCU. Okay. I like that. Connor, it's your turn now. I'm gonna say I have two. Um neither of them about any of the conferences we talked about, but I think the Pac twelve gets four, possibly five bids, but with the caveat being that either USC or Stanford misses out and Arizona State sneaks into the back end of that first four because Arizona state's been playing unbelievable kind of a flip of what's happened the last two years with them and USC and, and especially Stanford have just not impressed against good competition this year. Um, And I think as much as I've been on the Stanford train, they're, they're a step behind those top three, a clear step behind those top three teams and really just haven't, you know, with, with a loss to, to Cal um, giving up the big lead to USC, I just I just don't see them making any big wins down the stretch. My other bold prediction, and I I kind of mentioned it early earlier when we were talking about Gonzaga, St. Mary's finishes fourth in the regular season or or gets the fourth seed in the WCC tournament um, with Pacific picking up the third seed. Because if you look at the two if you look at the two schedules upcoming, Pacific plays home against Portland at St. Mary's, home against Santa uh, Santa Clara, and then at both LMU and USD. St. Mary's has Pacific, LMU, USD, and they close with a game at Santa Clara and a game at Gonzaga. I think St. Mary's beats Pacific, but I think that's Pacific's only loss down the stretch. I don't see St. Mary's beating Gonzaga in Spokane, and I think they might get caught looking ahead um, in that game at Santa Clara. And Santa Clara's guards gave Gonzaga some trouble, and I think they give St. Mary's some trouble. And the difference being St. Mary's doesn't have a big man that can take advantage the same way Philip Petrushev did to kind of lift Gonzaga out of that that strong, quick guard play for for Santa Clara. So that, that would be a huge kind of turn of events, seeing St. Mary's of all teams kind of fall out of that top three uh, entering the WCC tournament. This isn't one of my bold predictions, um, but I, I don't think St. Mary's ends up in the tournament. Maybe that's a bold prediction, but I I do not trust them to hold serve and take care of their business down the stretch here. I think they're going to lose one or two more of these kind of bad games and probably get thrashed by Gonzaga again. That I, I just don't think they make the tournament. I wouldn't call that bold at all because if you figure it, they'll have a win against Pacific down the stretch, even if even if they beat um santa clara that's not an incredibly great win and then they probably lose to gonzaga and by and then byu in the tournament 
if they lose to Santa Clara, then I then there's absolutely no chance. So I I wrote about it in this week's Ralph report that whenever they've played anybody good, it's not been a close game. Like they have gotten just thrashed every time they've played any team that they lost by two at BYU. Well, BYU is a. I don't know if we consider that a. Do we consider BYU an NCAA tournament lock at this point? They beat Wisconsin by two. Do we consider Wisconsin to be an NCAA tournament lock at this yeah, point? Yeah, pretty much. When they've played teams that we know are good, they have not done well at all. I mean, they've only played like two teams we know are good. They lost to Gonzaga by 30, and they lost to Dayton by 10. That Dayton, game, that Dayton game, though, they were down. Absolutely. Hey, final results. Do it, actually do it for the bet. It's really nice that you guys, okay. you know, Connor tells Brian that his bold prediction is garbage. It's not bold <laughs> at all. And then Lucas just stomps all over his argument on why he's trying to make a point to begin with. <laughs> That's what, it was not my bold prediction. I was just making <laughs> And I said this at the beginning of the season. I think St. Mary's, not their most important player, but they lost one of their three most important players from last year, and then they lost his replacement at the beginning of this year. And so the fact that they're even in the discussion for the NCAA tournament is kind of um, a positive, but they were not an NCAA tournament team last year unless they beat Gonzaga in the WCC tournament. And so I didn't didn't understand why then losing Jordan Hunter, which is the only reason they beat Gonzaga, suddenly made them a team that people thought was a lock to make the tournament. I've had Connor in my ear too much. Don't blame me. Blame him. (laughs) Okay, so now to my actual bold predictions, guys. (laughs) For for this week, I, I think San Diego State loses their first game Sunday at Boise. I think it'll actually benefit San Diego State to lose a game and get a two-seed in the West. Um, <laughs> but I think that happens this week. I think it happens at Boise. I just, I really like the San Diego State team, and I think they're legitimately good, legitimately Elite Eight good. Um, but I, they're going to slip up somewhere along the way, I think, whether it's an off-shooting night or another team just gets hot. I'm going to say that happens Sunday at Boise State. If it doesn't happen then, I don't think it's going to happen. But I'll say it happens then. And, Connor, my bold prediction for the season. I'm changing my tune. I am not picking Oregon to win the national championship anymore. <laughs> and I hate that I'm going to say this, but I think I would pick Maryland to win the national championship right now. Against all of my better judgment, I think Maryland, as of now, wins the national championship. No. I know. He's he's putting a ton of faith in Mark Turgeon. Mark Turgeon. I'm putting yeah. way too much faith in Mark Turgeon. <laughs> now now I okay, now that somebody somebody believes in them that much, I foresee a thirty point first round loss. <laughs> Brian, I think I will, what I think what sold me is I was watching the, the Illinois game when they beat Illinois Friday and they were talking about when they played Illinois in College Park, which was a game that Maryland was down fifteen, ended up coming back winning by one. And they won that game because Mark Turgeon essentially told his team at halftime that he wasn't going to call sets anymore. He wasn't going to coach. We're just going to let them play. Yeah, so Anthony Cowell well since the then. Show. Yeah. Surprisingly, they've done well since Mark Turgeon stopped coaching. <laughs> so I think if that can continue, they'll be okay. Because talent-wise, they have it. They do. Yeah. I hate myself, but that's what I'm going with. I can't wait till next week's show when you come back and say, I knew I shouldn't have been fooled by Mark Turgeon. They're going to lose to Nebraska or something like that. Something crazy is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Look at Hawaii in that two fifteen game and lose. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. That is going to be it for us. Uh, we will be back next week with another two power conferences uh, to discuss. And thank you, Michael. Thank you, Lucas, for joining us. Uh, we had a really good time. Hopefully everyone got to learn about some teams that they should watch down the stretch uh, in both the ACC as well as the Big East. Um, and thanks, as always, for my co-host, Brian Ralph. I'm Connor Hope, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys.